I'm Doug Storm. Welcome to Interchange. Today's show is Whiteness Is As Whiteness Does on the Typologies of Whiteness. Gotta keep Our opening song is already illustrative of the discussion to follow. Eric Clapton erasing Robert Johnson with his version of Hellhound on My Trail. Let's begin with Moby Dick, because all things may be found there. This is from chapter 42, The Whiteness of the Whale. Quote, Aside from those more obvious considerations, which could not but occasionally awaken in any man's soul some alarm, there was another thought, which at times, by its intensity, completely overpowered all the rest. And yet so mystical and well-nigh ineffable was it that I almost despair of putting it in a comprehensible form. It was the whiteness of the whale that above all things appalled me. But how can I hope to explain myself here? And yet, in some dim, random way, explain myself I must." Unquote. We can say scientifically that race is a social construct, which is to say that there is no such thing as race except as a human concept designed to establish dominance hierarchies by creating denigrating or aggrandizing attributes for each so-called racial group. Once we say that, then all else must be critique. White must then take on the full significance of its construct. All this simply means that the category white is a socio-political and economic designation, and it presents a spectrum of whiteness, which orders social organization in the service of empowering and enriching particular people. For today's show, we'll look at a few ways that whiteness presents itself in culture and politics with artist, writer, and activist Heath Schultz. Schultz is an assistant professor in the art department at the University of Tennessee Chattanooga, whose video project, Typologies of Whiteness, seeks to demonstrate how whiteness as a structural position of violence is on ubiquitous display in our visual culture. The typologies include white musicians covering classic blues songs, white policing of black and brown descent, the great white hope that makes America great again, referring originally to a white prize fighter who might knock down the black champion Jack Johnson, and the white love of police dramas on television with sympathetic cops for heroes. We'll begin with white men covering Robert Johnson's Hellhound on my trail. And now, Whiteness is as whiteness does on Interchange on WFHB. Welcome to Interchange, Heath Schultz. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Doug. Well, uh, so we opened up there with Eric Clapton's version of Robert Johnson's Hellhound on My Trail. 
And this is the first typology you chose to illustrate with white men cover Robert Johnson's Hellhound on my trail from uh, a 2016 video you did. Uh, why is this a typology of whiteness? Uh, well, the so the, the video in a um, very literal way is, is a video of about uh, nine or ten men that are covering Robert Johnson's Hellhound on my trail. Um, which, as many uh, listeners probably know, is a song um, by a Delta bluesman, Robert Johnson, which was recorded in 1937. And, of course, Hellhound is a reference to sending the hounds uh, to get uh, escaped uh, enslaved persons. Um, so the, the sort of casualness, uh, the, the casual way that, the, that some of these white guys were uh, picking up the song, um, stepping into the position of the bluesmen, um, I would argue is a, a quote typology of, of, of whiteness. So your, uh, as you say, your your own video is a, a use of uh, YouTube videos of just general folks uh, playing playing this particular blues song. A blues song, as as most blues songs, uh, particularly this one, though, but many blues songs, and we've had uh, shows on uh, on blues songs that came out of Parchment Prison and things of this nature. Uh, blues has a very uh, very significant. Um, uh, is very significant in a particular way to to African Americans in this country, as well as the development of a particular art form as well. So it's a, a very facile uh, approach uh, that white musicians take to music that perhaps can't resonate, or does it matter at all? It's just a a cultural misappropriation. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, 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 so appropriation is a buzzword for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, certainly the, 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 the kind of flippant way that it gets thrown around definitely, I think, misses some of the significance of, um, stepping into the sort of cultural genocide of, you know, say indigenous peoples or black peoples. Um, but it's also sort of part of like a kind of politically correct, mm -hmm. um, Facebook, uh, <laughs> culture or whatever. Sure. Um, um, but so I guess for, for me, I think, um, so the other thing to say ab about the, uh, um, the, the video, which, which you can't see, of course, is that it has several excerpts from critical theorists that sort of scroll through the clips that kind of, um, interrogate them perhaps, or crit critique them, contextualize them. And, and those clips are, are, uh, excerpts rather are from, uh, people like Franz Fanon, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, and then there's there's the one um, excerpt from this uh, academic named uh, Sadia Hartman who does uh, um, comparative lit primarily, but she's um, does really interesting historical work on um, the 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 sort of problem of pain hmm. as as a kind of qualifier or a kind of uh, supposed universal truth. Um, and, and one of the things that she argues is that through the idea of empathy, um, which uh, uh, supposedly is the thing that um, gives us sort of access to the other, um, is also an inclusion of the other and obliteration of the other. So to put that differently, one of the kind of maybe multi kind of critiques of multiculturalism that she would offer through the lens of these white guys covering Robert Johnson would be to say that... Um, in order to tap into that history, they have to abolish that history at the same time. They have to crowd out Robert Johnson. Mm. Uh, mm. And so I think that that's a, that's a more 
kind of substantive critique of appropriation. Um, but it starts to give us, I think, a way to think about um, not necessarily just a critique of appropriation, but the way that liberalism expresses itself um, uh, in a kind of shallow way. And in this case, uh, just sort of, and part of the, I think, thing about these videos is that they're, they're not really like thoughtful. They're these like super casual, um, in my basement, pra- practicing, right. um, uh, videos. So, right. Right. Yeah. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. My guest is anti-racist political activist and artist Heath Schultz, whose video project Typologies of Whiteness works to rewire ideological cultural products like cop dramas that portray the police as sympathetic protectors of communities and uh, songs like uh, Eric Clapton's covering of Robert Johnson's Hellhound on My Trail. Uh, so uh, you said a couple of things there that are, um, I think, really important to kind of unpack or, or to think about in terms of um, how we, um, I guess, use a, use the term a buzzword, appropriation, misappropriation, uh, misappropriation, but also things like empathy and liberalism are going to come under the um, micro, micro, excuse me, microscope here and uh, trying to understand how it is that empathy turns out to be a bad thing in this situation um or you know like as you say to to erase the pain of the other um in again an act that is it's hard for me to like characterize it in some ways right so these are guys who just can play the guitar i mean as simple as simple as we can get it right so there there's a there's a song that expresses a particular um emotion a lived experience an art that is in the song, that that is casually uh, picked up and repeated, reproduced, obviously not in uh, Robert Johnson's voice, obviously not uh, through the, the black body or black voice, but through uh, a casual use of a very cool tune. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Good. Uh, I'm glad I got it right. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, and I think um, maybe I'll... Let me see if I can think about uh, the kind of question in there. The um, I th- maybe maybe one way for, for me at least to to, to sort of um, so I mean I teach an art um, and 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 one of the things that comes up for for us is um, well what's off limit what's off limits mm-hmm. um, which is kind of part part of this conversation I think is like the subtext to the question maybe is like well. Um, can 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 white folks ever sing this song or have access to this right, song? Right. And I don't know that I have the answer to that. I don't know that I, I necessarily want to stick a claim in that answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that w- one of the one of the approaches that I have um, to to this project is to think about one of the, the one of the ways in which um, uh, whiteness as a kind of cultural expression, which is symptomatic of white supremacy, reiterates itself and kind of uh, kind of perpetual um, uh, kind of assault. And I think like through these kind of quotidian ways, this is some of the ways that we see it as like, oh, we actually don't have access to what a song like Hellhounds may have meant in a historical context because of this kind of casualness with which right. um, Eric Clapton could rearrange it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so from, from a kind of, from like a kind of social or political critique um, I, I mean, from that angle, I think might be how, how I would um, uh, steer clear from 
say covering Robert Johnson. Sure, 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 sure. Well, let's uh, let's do a little bit. Uh, go a little bit. I guess I guess it's probably not deeper, but let's let's play a clip of a, a Good Morning America um, concert uh, that features uh, Clapton with John Mayer. And uh, I know, uh, of course, our audience can't see it, but it's a sea of white people who are there watching. <laughs> Um, and I'd like you to listen to what the male host says before we just hear a little bit of the song, but it's really about the setup. So let's play that clip now. Here again live, Bryant Park, and someone just shouted to the crowd for me, and they said, Robin, you're so lucky, and Lord, don't I know it. I am so lucky, so very blessed. This is quite a morning. John Mayer having him here, and now with an icon, Eric Clapton. And what a song to hear. Crossroads, made famous by the band Cream. Can't wait to hear it right now. Gentlemen, please. So again, that's uh, Eric Clapton and um, John Mayer on Good Morning America. I think 2007 is when that was. Uh, interesting thing there is that uh, John Mayer is the one who's going to play all the, the fancy guitar riffs in this song, and, and Clapton's you know just kind of doodling along there. Uh, he's singing, of, of course. Um, but what struck me uh, is that you know, first of all, the white the white host uh, says, you know, here's this great song that was made famous by Cream, uh, which of course is Clapton's band. But um, you know, there's no mention of Robert Johnson. Of course, this is a 1936 song of Robert Johnson's, I believe, um, and it's actually called Crossroad Blues. But you see the white guitar player passing down this song to another. You, like a young white guitar player, so it's kind of uh, you know what you talk about covering Robert Johnson being a no-no. It's uh, it's it's what what's done, right? Yeah, and, and I think like certainly um, uh, these the uh, John Mayer and Eric Clapton sort of imagine themselves as um, you know progenies of someone like Robert Johnson. Um, uh, but certainly I think something has to get lost. Um, we're certainly not thinking about, you know, the Jim, Jim Crow context <laughs> of Robert Johnson, no. um, and, and Mississippi when, when, uh, uh, John Mayer is sort of making his blues riff and kind of indulging in his own, mm-hmm. his own kind of, um, you know, gu- guitar, uh, virtuoso, whatever. Right, right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's take a break right now. Uh, this is "I Fought the Law" by Bob, the Bobby Fuller Four. Stay with us as we explore the typologies of whiteness with artist and activist Heath Schultz when Interchange returns.
Support for WFHB comes from the Uptown Cafe, established in 1976. Located at 102 East Kirkwood Avenue, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner, as well as wine, beer, spirits, and cocktails. More information is available at the-uptowncafe.com. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our show is Whiteness Is As Whiteness Does. And my guest is Heath Schultz, an artist and anti-racism political activist. We're talking about a video project of his called Typologies of Whiteness. In the first segment, we explored the first typology, white dudes covering black blues songs. And we're going to turn in this next segment to a typology called White People Love the Police. But uh, Heath, let's first describe or I guess define whiteness. It se- it, that may seem uh, too simple to ask, but it seems like it may be a complicated question. What, what is whiteness? Yeah, I think it's a super complicated question. Um, um, I, I think for, for, for me, the way I think about it in the context of this um, project, um, typologies of whiteness is um, to think about um, less as sort of white skin per se, but more as um, the ways in which uh, white supremacy as an ideology manifests and gets reiterated, um, both in the ways that we imagine it um, but also as a um, more quotidian problem. And so the, the thing that, um, when I was sort of thinking about this show, the, the, the thing I thought might be a useful way to approach it is through the definition of uh, the scholar Dylan Rodriguez, who is in California. He works with critical resistance, um, among other activist groups, which is, a, which is an abolitionist, uh, prison abolitionist organization organization. Um, uh, primarily in, in California, but not exclusively. Um, but he describes white supremacy as a logic, a logic of social organization, um, which then subsequently must be maintained, which means that it must have a police force, it must have a military force, um, it must have social codes that sort of reinforce those certain hierarchies. Um, so one of the ways that I think, uh, one of the things I'm trying to do with this project is put in dialogue the kind of quotidian expressions of how that hierarchy manifests itself in a banal way, like say, for example, the um, day-to-day way that whiteness is expressed as part of white supremacy, and then also how um, there comes a point when that has to be policed in a kind of material, a very real way on the streets. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to kind of put those things in dialogue with each other because I think that they're um, related. Um, But that's a kind of um, entryway, I think, into thinking about um, whiteness as a social and political formation mm. that is part and parcel with uh, white supremacy. Right. Well, people struggle with this issue because uh, you you have trouble talking to white people about whiteness. You know, you have trouble talking to your friends and neighbors and relatives about what it means to to be white, and uh, you 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 confront problems of privilege by talking about privilege because people are like, I'm not privileged. I don't have any privilege, and they don't understand the literal. Um, you know, benefit of white skin color in this culture. Um, so, you know, it's it's a hard topic to talk about. And I do think that your your project 
uh, at least throws light on the way whiteness is quotidian in its kind of um, insidious ways, I suppose. Um, so the, the question that um, I wanted to ask, too, is, you know, how, how did all this get started for you? Uh, so the I think so I've I've done kind of activisty left leaning um, stuff for 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 a long time but I think um, it was really um, after Michael Brown was murdered in Ferguson and the Ferguson uprising started that um, doing a, or participating in an anti racist project really was staring me in the face um, I hadn't sort of thought through specifically what that meant. Um, the other side to that is to think about for, from from my work as an artist. I think um, it became a problem to think about. Okay, well, 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 what can I do that doesn't kind of rehearse uh, the same things that um, uh, activists of color and scholars of color are doing better than I ever could? Um, and so one of the, my approaches was, okay, well, maybe I'll sort of try and think through. Um, some of the ways that that white supremacy is is uh, is um, expressed as part of an anti-racist project. So mm. hopefully to give texture to an anti-racist project um, mm. with without sort of uh, crowding out other voices. Well, it's uh, it's important to again. I think you're you're right on to imagine that we have to again understand what supremacy means, and uh, even I think the problem might be that people understand it and agree with it. You know, not to say they don't understand white supremacy, but they agree that it should be, <laughs> that there should be white supremacy, you know. So confronting the realities of that mindset is quite difficult. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, in some ways, I think um, maybe even more than the um, kind of confrontation with a conservative or right wing or even worse, increasingly so like explicitly white supremacist or fascist ideology. I think one of the, one of the things the project tries to do is confront liberalism mm -hmm. as, as an ideology that, um, is, um, you know, frankly, I think white supremacist, uh, not intentionally, um, but mm -hmm. nonetheless can do sort of can do, can do white supremacy's work maybe is a better mm -hmm. way of saying it. Um, uh, and, and part of that, I think, and 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 if 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 one sort of looks through the videos, you'll you'll see that the part part of that work, I hope, is that that critique of liberalism will help um, uh, create space for a more militant, a more militant left, um, a left that's ready to struggle in the streets against fascism, um, so that it does have some kind of uh, teeth. Mm. Uh, to to confront those ideologies, mm. um, I'm not convinced that we're going to win the win the war of ideas, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> this is Doug Storm on Interchange. My guest is anti-racist political activist and artist Heath Schultz, whose video project, Typologies of Whiteness, works to rewire ideological cultural products. Uh, so one of the things we're confronting here is that the it's easy to see white supremacy in a conservative argument. It's easy to see white supremacy as a racism. It's easy to see when people agree with it. Your question or what you're saying here is that what we don't see is the liberal nature of white supremacy. We're not seeing how these things are propped up even in a liberal perspective. So in what way, uh, let's let's use this, this next clip to hopefully try to understand that or explain a little bit of it. Uh, so uh, this next clip, uh, if you don't mind, give us a brief description of it. This is White People Love the Police. 
Uh, sure. So, so the, the 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 clip that that you'll see is a is a um, an audio sample from a video called uh, "White uh, White People of the Police," which is part of this Typologies of Whiteness series. And um, most prominently, what you'll hear at the beginning is is um, uh, audio that's stacked on top of each other. So it will sound confused, but um, what what you'll hear is um, uh, audio from a police press conference of vic- uh, police sort of claiming victimhood, and then audio from uh, Occupy activists shouting, police need a raise, police need a raise, um, while they're being arrested, which you can't <laughs> see on the screen. Right. Um, and so then that kind of juxtaposition is, is one of the ways that I'm interested in kind of rubbing those rubbing those ideologies together to maybe expose some, some of the ways that liberalism is, is expressed. Um, and then the other thing that you'll hear in this clip is um, uh, this uh, police propaganda video, which was made, I can't remember which police department made it, but, but it's, it's real police officers. Um, and they went out in the street with signs that say free hugs. So you'll, you'll hear this kind of quirky, silly music, which is from the original video mm-hmm. edited by the police department. Um, and these signs say free hugs. So they're just going around hugging folks. So it's very, and this is a recent like post Ferguson film. So it's very much part of this kind of re- rehabil- rehabilitation project um, from, from, from the police. Okay. Let's go to that. It's about, a, it's about two minutes. Our system of justice absolutely requires law enforcement to be present to protect our community. It is time for the silent majority in this country to support law enforcement. There are a few bad apples in every profession. That does not mean that there should be open warfare declared on law enforcement. The vast majority of officers are there to do the right thing are there because they care about their community and want to make it a safer place. What happened last night is an assault on the very fabric of society. It is not anything that we can tolerate. It is time to come forward and support law enforcement and condemn this atrocious act. We've heard black lives matter, all lives matter. Well, cops' lives matter too. So why don't we just drop the qualifier and just say lives matter and take that to the bank? Giving out free hugs today. If anybody would like a hug, I would love a hug. Thank you so much. That really that means a lot. Thank you. All right. My man right here. I see him. He's got the smile. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. <laughs> I can't hug through the side. Once again, that was uh, Heath Schultz's typology, whiteness uh, typology, uh, white people love the police. And we uh, we heard a little bit on uh, bookended the song I Fought the Law. Uh, one of the things you talk about with using that song in particular, or songs like it, is this kind of playful nature that white people seem to have with the police and that, uh, you know, hugs for from the cops kind of uh, demonstrates that as well. Yeah, actually, I forgot to mention that before before you, before you ran the clip. Um, that's this Bobby Fuller song, "I Fought the Law" and the Law One. the The idea for this video actually came from from not that song, but this John Cougar song. 
um, this John Mellencamp song, um, uh, the authority, I the authority. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I've the authority, authority is always <laughs> right. Um, and it just, it was, this was sort of in the middle of the Ferguson uprising, and it just sort of dawned on me that the, this, like, this kind of peppy pop rock song uh, is this really kind of extraordinary um, motif that reoccurs through a lot of, of these kind of um, kind of country songs in particular. And then so also in, in this, in, in the, the video from the clip that you just showed, there's images of like Luke and Bo Duke, for example, who, um, whose life is, um, just a little more than the law will allow, uh, <laughs> which I mean, can you imagine, you know, like, a um, you know, a black artist saying such a thing, um, which is kind of extraordinary. So I, I was, I was sort of interested in the way that that kind of popular cultural, um, idea with white, uh, rock and country musicians in particular, um, gets kind of rehearsed in, as this kind of coy cat and mouse, um, flirtation between, between the police, as opposed to, um, a potentially deadly force. Right. Yeah. You don't see Bo and Luke get their skull smashed in on that show. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a, uh, it's good old boss, uh, boss hog, I think was his name, who, you know, who's gonna do his Keystone cop routine, uh, while they, uh, pedal their moonshine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. All right. So let's uh, let's go to a break and we'll uh, talk a little bit more about that when we come back. It's time for uh, uh, we're going to do the uh, the um, theme song to the Dukes of Hazard. This is Good Old Boys uh, by Waylon Jennings. When we come back, we'll also talk about the Great White Hope as whiteness typology. Stay with us. Just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law Since the day they was born Straightening the curves Flattening the hills Someday the mountain might get them But the law never will Making their way The only way they know how That's just Support for WFHB comes from Limestone Post, an online culture and lifestyle magazine for Bloomington and beyond. You can explore articles, photo essays, and videos on the arts, outdoors, local history, community events, and all the topics that make Bloomington such a great place to live. Limestone Post, writers with a voice, photographers with a vision. Online at limestonepost.com. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Welcome back to Interchange. Our show today is exploring what artist and activist Heath Schultz calls typologies of whiteness. 
We've looked at artistic appropriation and what seems like a playful relationship with cops. Uh, In this segment, we're going to explore the idea of the great white hope. But let's first uh, talk a little bit about your method, Heath, when you uh, come to these things, trying to make these particular videos. If uh, I'll let the audience, you know, talk a little bit about the... um, the the ways that the previous clip had had silenced some spaces in between them and I left them there uh, they were larger or longer but they also exist uh, in that silence exists imagery uh, so I I do need to stress that these are video projects and that sometimes the 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 the, the sort of emptiness there which is kind of cool in audio too because it clashes the sounds that we heard were clashing um, but tell us a little bit about your method. Yeah, so the, I mean, um, with, with this um, project, at least, it's uh, pretty much 100% um, pulled from YouTube um, or ripped from DVDs or, or something like that. Um, so um, it, it's pretty much entirely d- uh, digital collage, audio collage, um, but it definitely comes from this um, kind of historical project, um, which uh, this French Marxist called Detournement. Um, well, that's the kind of, that's the kind of way that it's been, um, it's detournement originally, of course, that's the kind of, uh, white version of it. But, but, but this idea is that, um, part, part of a critical practice would also be to, um, deconstruct the, um, ideological underpinnings of particular, um, cultural, uh, relics, be they television, be they newspapers. Um, uh, so that's part of it, definitely, is um, sort of cruising the internet, cruising YouTube to sort of find these things that sort of express something of the culture that kind of is worth unpacking. Um, the other part of it, I think, there's kind of two parts to determine is, uh, one is this kind of deconstruction of ideology, hopefully making it visible somehow. The other thing I think that's productive is to rescue um, some radical possibilities in certain media. Um, that's less common in this project, but I think it's it's always kind of present. So, um, like a, I mean, one sort of simple um, one sort of simple response to that would be um, for like as an artist to ask like, well, what are the ways that the the kind of critical um, power of someone like Robert Johnson could be restored? Um, to its original possibilities. It would need to be kind of changed. It would need to be altered. Um, um, but that's part of this kind of practice of atonement. And those are some of the strategies that I like to think about. But at its base, it's um, a kind of really simple remixing of audio from YouTube and video from YouTube. Mm. So uh, as, you were, as you mentioned, trying to return some critical aspect to Robert Johnson's work, it strikes me as a difficult thing to confront anymore in the sense that um, you, you can go and talk to anyone you want about uh, slavery in America, and it's just a conversation. Um, it's, it's, if anything, people talk about it being over, um, and you just have a conversation returning the critical, you know, eye or the critical gaze of, of a person who may have actually experienced slavery. And still in this world, we of course have slavery still in this world. We have people that are beaten, uh, tortured, uh, hounded, sold, etc. Uh, and it's hard to have these conversations in this particular culture. You know, you talk about it being a white, uh, Marxist French, uh, philosophy in a lot of ways are trying to understand this particular critique uh, and giving it teeth somehow um, so that it does some work beyond just being uh, uh, interesting, right? Uh, you know, how do we, how do we f- find ways to 
understand the pain that this white complacence, and that's at best white complacence, right, uh, has, has served the rest of the world for the most part. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's a really, it's a really hard project, um, or a really hard question. And I think, um, the, I don't know if I said it, but that, that, that theory comes from Guy Debord, Mm -hmm. um, who wrote the very famous book, the society of the spectacle. He also made this incredibly interesting film, which is really difficult, um, uh, to watch. But, um, but, but for, for him, he, he would say that, you know, the, the possibility of, of art, the possibility of the critic, um, as a radical practice, as a revolutionary practice, really is only possible in relationship to a, a social movement. Hmm. Um, uh, that's a kind of bleak way to think about the possibility of art and culture. Um, it, it means that you know everything is recuperated all, already, um, and I think it, it would be easy to make that case um, in a kind of cynical way. And, and I, I w- usually would be kind of inclined to, to go that route, <laughs> um, but. I think you know one of the one of the things that helps me to think about it is that is that um, when I think about it as a, as a discursive practice, that maybe it helps open up some space for an activist practice um, through through the mode of critique that can think about um, not just critique in a textual way, um, uh, but critique of thinking about oh well like how how does this um, this audio um, trigger, you know, like a particular response in us. And so I'm thinking about like, um, um, uh, you know, like theme songs or country music or pop and those sorts of things. And and maybe if we can think about those things in a kind of critical manner, as well as a kind of historical and contextual manner, Mm -hmm. then we can think also about how activism might translate in Mm. some kind of way. Well, I was thinking about, you know, looking at some of these documents on uh, detonement, (laughs) <laughs> the yeah. Uh, yeah um to try to understand the aspect that seems more insurgent or or invisible or sneaky might be a, a good way to put it but the idea that you know there's a critical aspect that comes right at you right the idea like i'm thinking about the popularity of the comedians of white people you know white people uh the things white people like you know this sort of uh, com- right. com- comedic criticism of white people which all white people laugh at all right. Just the way that all white people laugh at that. I forget his name, Jeff. I'm forgetting his name right now. It's a guy that does uh, like trailer park. Uh, uh, Foxworthy. Um, uh, yeah. Jeff Foxworthy. Right. So, so all white people laugh at that, too, even though he's poking fun at all white people. Right. So there's a criticism there that isn't really a criticism at that point. And and part of this, as you say, is trying to sort of undermine the expected or undermine the cultural product as it in a way so that it's not seen even so that so that it's kind of done in an almost subliminal way the the undermining yeah and i i mean that's like a really good um kind of point and interesting connection um which which is part of the reason that i think a, you know a project like this is incredibly hard um and uh, i mean you know one of the things that happens one of the reasons why if, if whiteness is a buzzword that it is a buzzword is that it has some kind of marketability that it's been sort of repackaged. It's been recuperated somehow. And that's precisely the reason that at least from DeBoer's perspective, he would say, um, um, that's, that's why there's kind of no critical, um, or no kind of artistic project that's possible. There's only the project of criticism, Mm. um, for precisely, precisely that reason. Um, but it's also helps, I think to like kind of consistently put, um, 
you know, someone like, like the Jeff Foxworthy, for example, um, in conversation with, you know, a broader, um, critique of how identity is repackaged and sold back to us. And that's part of a particular, um, historical moment, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. My guest is Heath Schultz, anti-racist political activist and artist. He's got a video project called Typologies of Whiteness uh, that we're talking about today. Uh, We've got uh, four or five minutes left in this segment, so uh, let's quickly touch on Great White Hope as the, uh, the video for this particular typology is about a minute and a half maybe, maybe something like that, uh, Heath. And so it's very short, but you can, you can narrate what exactly happens in it pretty quickly. Yeah, it's super short. It's also the most simple, um, video of the group. There are just, there are just two aspects, uh, of it. One is a, um, you know, 90 second clip from the film Rudy, uh, which hopefully your Indiana listeners are familiar with. Um, but if they're not, it's a, a clip of, of the, the, um, the kind of small football player who wants to, it's his dream to play in Notre Dame. Um, And it has this epic swelling orchestra that comes in at the end of the film when he finally gets to play after four years of study. Um, And while that's playing this um, image of, of Trump, it kind of slowly comes into the frame until finally he kind of emerges when the climax emerges. Um, And the, and the thing that that's interesting, I think, um, about this video or about the image of Trump from, from that, that I was really interested in is that it's, um, it's not a professional photograph. It's a photograph that someone took from a rally. So it's kind of a terrible photograph and there are all these people surrounding this person and you see, sort of see the back of Trump's head. Um, so very much I was sort of thinking about what it means to be in the perspective of the crowd in a kind of literal way that was expressed through this image, but also, um, in the crowd at the stadium with Rudy, but then also maybe being um, in the crowd at home, kind of swept up in the kind of uh, narrative architecture of a film like Rudy that kind of has this trope of the savior um, coming in at the end of the game to to score the last touchdown or make the last tackle. Right, and and, um, as is... um... Uh, the I guess maybe it's the original relation of that particular term. The Great White Hope was a 1967 play uh, and a 1970 film with uh, James Earl Jones playing Jack Johnson, the boxer. And uh, the Great White Hope was supposed to be a, a white guy who who could get in the ring and, and beat up the black guy. Um, you know that, that was the Great White Hope. So there's clearly a trope there for for the current white supremacist alt right movement. Yeah, totally. And and I, I I have to check the history on this, but but I think the term actually dates back to the original 1919 um, when when Jack Johnson became oh, sure. yeah. champion. Yeah, yeah. Um, like sort of in the newspapers and stuff. And mm-hmm. one, I'm I've been reading a little bit about him currently, and uh, they used to play boxing matches in the cinema, which I didn't realize. And um, when he when he um, I don't know if it was his first title, but. Um, he, he had beaten this white boxer so badly that they banned his film from the cinema um, in several states. So there's this kind of, um, mm. I, I, I don't know, I really like this relationship um, uh, to, to thinking about Trump in, in this way. It's, of course, he's reactionary. Um, but, I, but again, I, I was sort of thinking about the ways that the, um, the architecture of the, the um, sort of feel-good film um, maybe lends itself to a certain kind of like white vision a certain kind of white imagining of 
um, certainly the American dream, but also history. Yeah, well, they, we work really hard to to give uh, black audiences that same kind of trope. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. To to be the hero of the white dream as well. Uh, to to be white enough to to you know to be able to 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 save the the school from being shut down or to win the the game as well. Yeah, totally. And that there's I mean the there's a really interesting film, um, the Green Book, that is totally this really interesting, much more complicated than normal, but nonetheless a total white savior film. Um, it's very much a film for white folks, um, but it's about this uh, um, musician from the 50s traveling through, through Jim Crow South. So mm. that's a kind of contemporary reference. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, it's time for our final break. This is Authority Song by John Mellencamp. When we, when we come back, our last typology, Sympathetic Cops. Stay with us on Interchange. Support for WFHB comes from the Uptown Cafe, established in 1976. Located at 102 East Kirkwood Avenue, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner, as well as wine, beer, spirits, and cocktails. More information is available online at the-uptowncafe.com. You're listening to Interchange on Community Radio WFHB. Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. My guest is Heath Schultz, and we're discussing typologies of whiteness. And we're on our last one right now. This is, I'm sure there are many more, Heath, but uh, these are the four videos you've made so far. This last one is uh, Sympathetic Cops, and it's a long one. I've, it was longer than this, but it's, uh, I think it's your longest. Well, no, your first one was the longest. Maybe it was like seven minutes. This one's a little a uh, little shorter than that, but uh, I've, I've shortened it to about four minutes, and I want to kind of jump into it as quickly as possible because as is, happens on the show, we run too long. So um, 
I don't think it needs to get set up. It's uh, a CSI. Go ahead and do it for us, actually. So, <laughs> sorry, we might as well. Well, what you can't see, what you can't see in the audio clip is that um, scrolling by the entire time you're hearing um, audio is stills from uh, CSI, which is a cop show, cop drama, um, taken from uh, moments where they're put in a position of being the sympathizers with the victim or um, uh, usually the victim of a crime, I guess. Um, and the rest, I think, maybe, hopefully, will will explain itself. Yeah, and I will say quickly that there's a point where you throw up on the screen uh, Wikipedia page about uh, cop shows, how many cop shows there are. I think there's 620 cop shows that you scroll scroll through on this particular um, uh, video. So pr- the propaganda of police is a big deal here, and it's 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 yeah. one that probably needs to continue to be explored in our popular culture and the way we, we're sort of awash in police propaganda. So here's this clip, Sympathetic Cops. It's about four minutes long. We solve, we restore peace of mind, and when you're a victim, that's everything. What's running through your head? What provoked such an aggressive response to really nothing? For 30 seconds, till backup arrived, and then we could investigate the, the stealing further. I had reached out my window of my right hand to grab onto his forearm because I was going to try and move him back and get out of the car to where I'm no longer trapped. And when I felt, I just felt the immense power that he had. I mean. The way I've described it is, it was like a five-year-old holding on to Hulk Hogan. That's just how big this man was. Hulk Hogan? He was very large. Very powerful man. Anyone who has been at these protests understands that there is a dangerous dynamic in the night. It allows a small number of violent agitators to hide in the crowd and then attempt to create chaos. The catalyst can be bottles thrown, Molotov cocktails, and of course, shots fired. And let's give attention to the peaceful, not to those determined to disrupt and call attention to themselves. Let's not glamorize the acts of criminals. I'm telling you, we're gonna make this neighborhood whole. We are going to make this community whole. We're going to do it together. And I am not going to let the criminals that have come out here from across this country or live in this community define this neighborhood and define what we're going to do to make it right. We are exclusively here to support Darren Wilson and we have no desire to engage in the negativity and hate which has paralyzed Officer Wilson's ability to pursue justice. 
Many of us have received death threats against ourselves and our families. Contrary to media suggestions, we are not affiliated with any hate groups. However, we respect each individual's First Amendment rights in this country. We will not hide. We will no longer live in fear. We ask this question. Can justice ever be attained if one side supporters are living in fear of speaking out? If you support Darren Wilson, make your voices heard. Call or write Governor Jay Nixon and demand that this bias stops now. At the end of this statement, the media will inevitably ask for my name, others' names and relationships, job titles, stories, etc. You want my name? My name is Darren Wilson. We are Darren Wilson. I'm Doug Storm on Interchange. We just heard Sympathetic Cops. That's a video by Heath Schultz, our guest. He's made a series of videos he calls Typologies of Whiteness. Uh, so again, that one has stills of CSI. And I uh, and I think you say on there, this is 15 seasons this show has been on. And God knows how long uh, Law & Order has been on and various Law & Orders have been on. That's running in the background. You've got Ferguson uh, going on in the background. Don't Shoot. You've got cop shows on TV listed, 620 listed in Wikipedia. You've got Darren Wilson talking to Stephanopoulos, interviewing him, talking about um, uh, Michael Brown being uh, 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 the Hulk. Um, you got Ferguson Police Captain Ron Johnson talking about agitators, provocateurs, as if those aren't possibly cops. You've got we are Dar- Darren Wilson spoken as if these people are we are anonymous, right? So, and it's interesting at the same time you've got an award show. Uh, image running in the background as well all, of all white women actors applauding so this one is full to the brim and you've got about two <laughs> minutes to talk about it go it is full to the brim i think maybe um, more than more than the others i think uh this one really tries to put um the many many different um kind of ideological documents that coexist in conversation with each other and what i really wanted to try and do was show the ways in which say a show like um, CSI, for example, um, also has a relationship to very real policing and the way that they real, wield their rhetorical power. So you've got Ron Johnson talking about the dangerous dynamic in the night, which of course puts the position of the police in a very vulnerable position. Mm. Um, uh, and then of course you have, uh, you know, uh, sort of in this case, celebrities, primarily white celebrities, sort of cheering on um, and this, uh, and in this video, I have them cheering on these kind of racist, uh, uh, white women, act, quote, activists who are embodying Darren Wilson, which is maybe one of the more incredible things I've seen. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so full of things that it just, uh, it's, it strikes you as, um, almost impossible to, to, you know, be able to kind of take it apart. Right. Uh, it's, it's a pretty obvious critique on one hand. Right. But the fact that you've got these images in here uh, and one in particular is Ron Johnson. And I don't know if this matters, but Ron Johnson is a black man. Right. He's a, a, and this seems to me essential as it sits in the middle of the video as well, uh, tacked on at the end by women. You've got women at the front and women at the back. I don't know if you meant to do this or not. And you can tell me of course, Heath, but you, you open (laughs) with women, uh, you know the the victim that's being uh, talked about, and how they're going to protect the victim or find the the pro, you know find the the killer of this woman, and then you end with the woman uh, or the woman in particular, and women applauding her at the end. So uh, I don't know if you intended that or not. 
Um, I, I didn't necessarily, but 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 it certainly is there. It's, I think it's not a coincidence that it's there. The 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 trope and the long running history of. Um, the police as protect protectors of women um, are certainly there, and I think the sort of history of white women not being um, the best um, in solidarity with anti-racist project is also there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I, I can certainly live with that reading. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, that's gonna <laughs> that's that's gonna have to do it for us tonight. Uh, thanks to Heath Schultz for setting us thinking. We take so much for granted in our televisual world. It's one thing that I would take away from this is that you need to think about the stuff you watch. Uh, it's ridiculous. Practice your own kind of detournement in rejecting whiteness narratives. Uh, Thanks, Heath Schultz. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's fun. We'll restore Robert Johnson to his rightful place by closing the show with his 1937 song, uh, Hellhound on My Trail. We'll have links to Heath Schultz's video project, The Typologies of Whiteness, on our website following the show. Go check them out. Sympathetic Cops especially is very powerful. Remember, you can find more Interchange programs online at our website, wfhb.org interchange. And you can find us on iTunes and PRX and hopefully on whatever podcast app you're using. Let us know if not. Thanks for listening. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Change. Wes Martin is tonight's studio engineer and our executive producer. Stay tuned for the Jazz Menagerie coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB. Just to pay.